I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to the Serbcast, Mobile Serbs Canadian tech-focused podcast. I'm Patrick O'Rourke. And Brad Bennett, a man who refers to himself as the bad boy of tech, but that I call Mobile Serbs team correspondent, is once again across the internet for me at an undisclosed, undisclosed location, creating a wooden canoe. I am. I'm in my grandparents' basement. I came up here for the past, uh, it's been a little over a week now, and I've just been like working on this old canoe that my grandpa built a long time ago and like refiberglassing it. It's been a good time. Ready to just drop everything and become a boat builder. See you guys later. How about you? How are you doing? What if you just review phones from the canoe? That'd be a new like take on a YouTube video. Yeah. Does it float? I guess. I don't know. <laughs> it's just waterproof. <laughs> Does it float? Throw it off the side. Yeah. Bloop. <laughs> um, and then along with, with uh, Brad, we have John Lamont, who's joining us on the podcast today. How are you doing, John? I'm doing pretty good. Um it's been like really hot the last few weeks, so. But my basement is cold, so it's good. It balances out. I keep, I keep expecting my air conditioning to die, but that is, uh, that has not happened yet. Yeah. Nice. I think I think I'd be okay if mine died for a little bit, but uh, yeah. I wouldn't. A, I would. Uh, I would probably move out. Um, I don't know where I would move to, but I, I cannot handle the heat. It does. It doesn't work out for me. What about yeah, your no, basement? It must be fairly good. cold. Oh, there's some like insulation issue with my basement where it is freezing in the uh, in the summer. So that's true. I should go and just live in the basement. I'll move out to the basement. Yeah, <laughs> yeah like I'm wrapped. For those who can't see me, I'm so, currently wrapped in a blanket. So basements are cold. Mm-hmm. It looks like a nice blanket, though. Yeah, it's like a little quilt. I'm enjoying it. Keep me warm. So this week's podcast covers several things. It's been a while since we've done one. We're kind of waiting for an opportunity to, uh, an opportunity that made sense. Um, so this week we're talking about the Pixel 4a, but we're also going to talk about Samsung's Note 20 and Note 20 Ultra, the Galaxy Buds Live, the Tab S7 Plus, very briefly, and the Galaxy Watch 3 even more briefly. Um, but before we get to all of that content, Bennett, do you want to hit us with the hottest news of the week? For sure. There's quite a few things because we didn't do, we haven't done a podcast in a while. So I, I went back. This is almost like the hottest news of the last week and a half even. So a little treat for everybody. Yeah, that works. Um, but yeah, starting today and yesterday, both Google Maps and CarPlay are kind of opening up their systems. Uh, both of them have been traditionally way more locked down than the phones. So like iOS and Android, you can use, you know, whatever apps you want, blah, blah, blah. You can use all this, all, anything. They're, if the app's on your phone, you can use it. But within CarPlay and Android, there were restrictions specifically around navigation apps. 
Um, and so now in CarPlay, you can use Google Maps in the dashboard screen, which is the new screen that kind of shows you maps on one side, directions, turn-by-turn navigation in the top corner, and uh, music controls in the bottom corner. Those two might be switched, but it shows more than one thing at a time. Basically, you can see your directions and control your music, absolutely what you want. Um, but now you can use Google Maps instead of just Apple Maps for that. So that's a big thing for anyone that uses CarPlay and doesn't like Apple Maps. And then on the Google side of things with Android Auto, you can now use all kinds of other Maps applications just in the app itself. Like you could use Google Maps on CarPlay before, but not in the dashboard split screen view. On Android Auto, you could only use Google Maps or Waze, which is owned by Google. So it's just like Google's monopoly. Um, but now you can use TomTom. You, know, you can use some apps like ChargePoint if you're like an EV owner, which will tell you how to like get to charging points, I guess. Um, in the States, there's apps that show you where you park your car and like that kind of stuff is all available. Um, so the theory is that like both Apple and Google are kind of opening up because of all the antitrust issues that have been or antitrust investigations, I guess, that have been popping up over the last little bit. So that's kind of cool and uh, better for consumers, I think, to have more choice. Always good. Um, moving on from that one, the police forces in Ontario are invited to use mobile alerts for more emergencies. Um, that's something that Aisha wrote, I think, over the weekend. And that seems pretty cool, you know. I don't know yeah, I think how... she wrote it on Sunday. Yeah, I don't know how prevalent that will be, like how often that will happen. But it's kind of cool that we might be seeing more pop-ups. You know, right now we just get amber alerts and weather alerts, I believe. So, or also there was that nuclear disaster alert. But, you know, other emergency, like police-related oh. alerts, if they could... If they could dial that down to, like, specific areas, especially in Toronto, that'd be pretty cool, you know? Like, hey, neighborhood, man on the loose, stay inside, things like that. That could be helpful. Yeah, I think for that kind of thing, it makes sense for the alerts to be more local. But I, I remember when the, the Amber Alert system first started, and there's a lot of complaints from people, like, a kid would get abducted in Barrie, but then you would get those alerts in Toronto, and people are like mm -hmm. really pissed about that. But to me, that made sense because like, who knows where that person is going? Just alert the entire province. So everyone has that on their radar. Um, yeah. But in the context of like a police notification, like I, I don't need news from Windsor, you know? Yeah, exactly. So we'll see how that works. But I mean, it's pretty cool. And ideally, I mean, people get speak. People are safer, I guess. It depends on how often they come. You know, if I'm getting like police alerts like three times a day, I'm just going to be get, like, getting like scared and paranoid. So hopefully they really do save it for big emergencies, but we'll see. But moving on from that one, this is a, uh, let's take a moment of silence here, everybody, for Toshiba laptops. Nice. So that was it. John, I know Pat and I talked about it on Twitter. Both of our first laptops were Toshiba's. Were you in that boat as well? Uh, no, my first laptop was actually a Dell Inspiron. Uh, which a lot of people badmouth. Um, it worked really well for me. It's still alive and kicking as a Plex server. Um, nice. So, yeah, was not on the Toshiba chain, train. Mine was a Plex I server. I had a for Toshiba a long time. satellite. That was my first laptop. Mine was a satellite as well. And the fun part was I bought the AMD version because I was a broke kid going from like grade eight into, eight into high school. And the dumb people at Staples accidentally gave me the first gen core i3 model instead. So I felt like just the king of the world that day. Um, but fast forward to like five years later, my car got broken into and someone stole that laptop. So I hope that it's still kicking somewhere and oh, somebody's no. still getting used out of it. But I doubt it. They probably trashed it. It was in pretty rough shape. 
But yeah, Toshiba's not making laptops anymore. I know. I think you wrote that story, Pat. Did no, you? it was uh, Aisha wrote it. It was one of her her morning stories. But uh, yeah, there, there's like a lot of stuff to it. But I think that the main takeaway is the fact that they're not making laptops anymore, and they used to be a pretty significant player in the Windows laptop game. Um, they used and, to be but the best. I like I totally forgot to, that Toshiba even made laptops. Like I didn't know. Mm-hmm. Like I, I know that they make them, if that makes sense. But then I yeah. forgot about it. It was like wiped from my memory. And then when I saw that story, I was like, oh, crap. The first laptop that was truly mine that I got when I went to university um, was a very beefy, massive Toshiba with like this huge battery that stuck out of the bottom of it. And it, it was great for what for what it was. Um, I remember it cracked, though. There's like. I, I think it was from the winter, like walking outside from Union Station to class, it would get like really cold. And then by the time I walked into like a lecture or whatever, it would heat up really quickly. I just remember the plastic cracking on the laptop at one point in like several different places. It was kind of just crumbling apart. Mine cracked was because I dropped it when it was in my bag and like the front edge of the frame on the screen like <laughs> popped off and i was like trying to like it, like snap it back together in all corners except for one so the hinge was kind yeah of that's stuck. what was happening to mine too yeah <laughs> but yeah it lasted me for years hoping that it lasts this thief a few more years you know just really really hit the ground running but yeah so she was not making laptops i guess what do they have now just tvs and portable hard drives i don't know do you guys know anything else that's like toshiba related off the top of your heads mm. do they make appliances I don't know. I thought they made uh, computer monitors. But maybe uh, they probably make Toshiba monitors. Toshiba computer monitor, too. That's what I played games on. Yeah, I think we have one. I bet they make VCRs still. <laughs> VCRs and tape players. Yeah, maybe. Um, this next one's kind of an interesting one, but it seems like Uber or Uber Eats is now starting to deliver things that aren't nec- just food, at least in the Toronto area. I know Dean was saying that he could order clothes from H&M. Um, and he also in his story mentioned that you could order stuff from Canadian Tire and a few other places. Um, I think that makes sense. There was a story that we saw a few weeks ago as well about the Uber Eats business starting to eclipse the Uber uh, driver business, I guess. And so moving away from just food to other things that can be delivered might be, you know, especially in pandemic times, but maybe in regular times might be the move to keep Uber profitable. You know, it's always been kind of a tough market for them. And like they had to reach scale, and this might this might be the way to do it, which is will probably spell disaster for things like Lyft, which it doesn't have this like arm of the company. I went to H and M a couple of weeks ago because I wanted some new pairs of shorts, and if I could have ordered those off <laughs> Uber Eats, I totally would have done that instead. Yeah, I think it's kind of cool. It's kind of like honestly. It's kind of the one of the only things that I think for me would like undercut Amazon, you know, with Amazon Prime, I can get almost anything shipped to my apartment in Toronto, not anywhere else. But in Toronto, I can get it shipped in like a day or two. It's great. You're like, I need this. It'll be here tomorrow. But if I get it even faster by using Uber and just being like, hey, go to the Canadian Tire for me, pick up these tools and blah, blah, blah. It's the camping thing. Bring it to my house, pay whatever delivery fee. If it's a big enough order, it'd probably be worth it. You know, I mean. It's pretty handy, especially for people who don't own cars and need like larger things delivered to their house right then and there. Maybe the days of waiting for things to ship are over. You know, just Uber drivers are delivering things all around. Um, 
And then I think the last thing I kind of wanted to talk about for the hottest news is just the COVID alert app. It has like a $10 million advertising budget. So hopefully lots of people are downloading it. Lots of people are seeing the commercials and the billboards and getting it downloaded, using it on their phones and, you know, trying to keep safe. But uh, also related to that is that there have been a lot of text scams related to the app as well. So I, as far as I know, yeah. the government is not texting or sending emails to anyone specifically about getting the app so if you get like some sort of scam or some sort of text that says hey download the covert 19 alert app don't do it uh just go to the app store yourself download it as normally as you normally would and avoid the scams altogether you know it should be good yeah there's there's a few things there um with that uh, there is a 10 million dollar kind of well, up to $10 million public advert or uh, public awareness campaign. That's what it was called. Uh, um, yeah, but there, uh, the government is also partnering with certain tech players, I believe Apple and Google to promote the app. Um, uh, I saw in the app store on my iPhone that there was like a post from Apple about it, kind of explaining how the app works and, and stuff like that. Um, so there's that. And I think they're also partnering with a couple uh, major retail chains to promote it as well. Um, so it's there's the that. Website. And then, yeah. Th- yeah. I saw that. I saw that too. Um, there's also, yeah, for the scams, I think the Canadian uh, Center for Cybersecurity was like, watch out for any sketchy messages. And they put in a bunch of information. Um, so. Yeah, I just did a quick check on the Play cool. Store. Is that all the news? Yeah, uh, all I can say is now I just checked the Play Store to see if they had anything specifically. And they have a COVID-19 resources sort of subsection, but the COVID alert app is not in there, unfortunately. So it's kind of weird. But yeah, that's it for Hottest News of the Week. Let's talk about cell phones and tablets and Samsung. All that fun stuff. So I, I think the first thing that's worth talking about... Um, on the docket this week is the Pixel 4a. John's review just hit the site. So if you're listening to this, it'll have already been on mobile surf for a couple of days. Um, I guess, I guess right, right off the top, John, do you want to just kind of set the stage for what this phone is? Like, is it the sequel to the Pixel 4? Is it just this entry level device? Kind of let listeners know um, what the 4a is. Yeah, so wait, wait, the wait, four... wait, 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 wait. Whoa. What is its foray? What? Oh. oh. As in like forte. It was the pun. I had to say it. I had to stop everything. That, I had to say it. That went completely over my head. <laughs> should, I completely missed should that have one. Been, should have been the headline. Should have been the headline. Ah. Anyway, continue. All right. Sorry for uh, that. <laughs> yeah, to an- it's all good. It's all good. Completely derailed my train of thought, but we're okay. We'll get it. We'll get it back on track. Uh, so the Pixel 4a is Google's um, new affordable Pixel device, the successor, the successor to last year's Pixel 3a, um, which was also a pretty great phone. Basically, in my experience playing around with the Pixel 4a for about the last week, um, is it strips away all the kind of sur- superfluous and extra features that you would get with a flagship device. So, you know, there's no 90 Hertz display, no wireless charging, 
you know, no secondary camera, none of that stuff. It's just bare bones, bare essentials that you need for a smartphone. And it's great. Um, and it's super cheap. It's four seventy nine in Canada, which is way it's cheaper than the pixel 3a last year uh it's got a bigger display it's got a bigger battery it's just all around a really great device uh for the price so i i guess one of the things that i'm curious about with this phone um like is there still going to be a pixel 5 or has the direction of the pixel line completely changed uh, yeah, so there is going to be a Pixel 5. Google actually confirmed that there is going to be a Pixel 5. Um, they kind of teased it uh, along with the launch of the Pixel 4a. So basically later this year, probably in the fall, they're going to announce the Pixel 5 and they're going to announce the Pixel 4a 5G, which is a terrible name, but it's basically just the Pixel 4a that they've already launched and that's already available. So why, why does that phone need to exist? Because like, I, I know we've talked about this like in Slack and outside of the podcast, but like, okay, I, I understand the Pixel 4a and where it fits in in the mobile space. It's this entry level device that has most of the key features that the average person wants from a phone. With the 5G version, it seems to go against what the phone is all about, if that makes sense. You know what I mean? Like, it's slightly more expensive. It has this kind of somewhat superfluous 5G feature that you don't really need. So why why does that device even exist? Uh, it's, it's a couple reasons. Um, so first off, and I think this is more in the US than in Canada, but carriers oh, okay. really want to push uh, 5G connectivity because um, it's kind of the next big thing, right? And you know, a lot of the advertising and the marketing and stuff like that is all around 5G because it's it's the next big thing. And it's kind of where carriers are going to start to make a little bit more money. Um, you know, I know in Canada, for example, right now, if you're with a carrier, which I believe it's just Rogers, Bell and Telus that have very limited 5G networks. But if you're with one of them and you have one of their new unlimited plans, you get free access to the 5G network. But I think in March 2021, with most of them, sometime in 2021, um, I think it's March though, they're going to charge an extra $10 per month in order to access the 5G network, right? So it's it's a money thing. It's a marketing thing. You know, it's the bigger number, which tends to sell better, stuff like that. Um, and so kind of what I've heard is that in the US, it's a little bit more difficult for non-5G phones to make it because the carriers just aren't going to put their marketing weight behind those devices. So I think for Google with the 4A, um, the regular 4A makes sense as a, you know, an affordable budget phone with all the big pixel features um, that anybody can kind of get and enjoy. And it's a great phone. And then they also want to have the 5G variant because that's going to get the carrier marketing for a mid range phone. And also it's just more affordable because if you look at most of the 5G phones that are available now, they're all well over a thousand dollars. Whereas the Pixel 4a when it comes out is going to be $679 in Canada, which is $200 more than what the 4a is going to cost, but also like more than $300 less than most of the 5G phones that are out there. 
So in a sense, it's like a cheaper way. Like if you care about 5G, this is like one of the more affordable, quote unquote, ways to get a device that has that capabilities. Exactly. But in Canada, like that doesn't matter because there's no real 5G networks yet. Just, yeah. just to be clear. Yeah. I mean, like if you want to future proof it, if you're not planning to upgrade your phone for several years, you can get the 5G version. But to me, that doesn't really make a whole lot of, of sense, especially with a device like the Pixel 4a because it's so cheap. And because Google only supports it for, you know, three years to me, like it would make more sense if you were getting an iPhone to opt for the 5G version because it's supported for so much longer than most Android phones. So, but yeah, that's, that's that just sense. kind of my two thoughts on it. I was going to say, you know, do people ahead. only see three different Google phones this year? As in like Pixel 4a coming in as the smallest phone, Pixel 4a, 5G, maybe slightly larger, medium sized phone. And then Pixel 5 itself being like a larger XL type phone. Like, do you think maybe Google is restructuring its product line that way? And that's why the 5G one is like a thing. Like, will the 5G phone be exactly the same as the 4A or will it be, you know, a different size, possibly a a step up in processor, maybe more RAM, the dual cameras? Like, will it be exactly the same? Are we paying $200 more just for the 5G or will there be some other improvements stuck in there as well? It's kind of where you are paying $200 more for 5G. Uh, That is my understanding based on what Google has said slash teased. Um, Okay. So to, to be clear in their teaser specifically, they said that the pixel 4a 5g and the pixel five would be available, uh, starting at 679 in Canada. So they didn't assign mm-hmm. the 679 to either of the phones, but to me, the 679 price makes sense as the starting price for the pixel 4a 5g, mm. um, because the pixel five flagship device is usually more expensive than 679 right um so yeah as far as i know it's going to be the 4a 5g is going to be exactly the same as the 4a with 5g connectivity um the pixel 5 is a little bit different um we haven't seen a lot of leaks for it um but the one rumor i have seen a lot of is that the 5 is going to have the 765g processor instead of the 865 Um, So that's going to be a bit of an interesting one because the 765 is a little bit, it's, it's not as performance based as the 865. Like it doesn't do as well in benchmarks and stuff like that, at least in the limited testing that, that I've done. Um, And so, yeah, it, that, that kind of really is the interesting part to me because when the pixel five 765 comes out, if, if that rumor is true, I don't think that it's going to do significantly more in terms of performance than what the Pixel 4a does. And then it kind of becomes a question of like, okay, what are you actually paying for for this flagship phone if the if it doesn't perform significantly better? Like what else is it going to do? What else is it going to have? So in the, yeah. in the context of Canada specifically, I guess, um, is the 4a a better deal than the iPhone SE 2020? Um, so I was a little confused on that because I looked at the wrong pricing. Uh, so I've pulled up the SE pricing in Canada. So it's the SE starts at 599 for the 64 gig in Canada. So it's 
a fair bit more expensive than the Pixel 4a, which is 479 for 128 gigs. So the SE and the SE um, 128 gig is 669. So it's about just shy of $200 more to get the same 128 gigabytes of storage and stuff like that. Um, So yeah, I think... I think the Pixel 4a is a better deal, but in a lot of ways, I still think that the iPhone SE is a smarter buy or a smarter investment. The main difference is that the iPhone SE runs on the 813 Bionic, I believe, which is Apple's flagship chip. So you're getting a flagship tier processor. And beyond that, Apple's A13 chip has performed way better than any of the Snapdragon stuff uh, in benchmarks, as far as I know. So not only are you getting a flagship to your processor, but you're getting one that's better than most Android flagships, right? Does the Mm. 4A have an OLED screen? It does. It does. Okay. So that's another difference too. You're getting a better screen with the 4A. That's that's one of the biggest issues with the SE, at least um, in terms of how I was looking at the device is like the screen looks old. The resolution's old. Yeah. So yeah, with with the 4A, um, I think you get a better screen and a better overall, more modern design. Um, You get the Pixel 4 camera capabilities just without a telephoto lens, um, which, you know, compares better with the SE because the SE also doesn't have a telephoto lens. Um, I haven't tested the iPhone SE camera as extensively as you, Pat, Um, but the Pixel 4a camera is almost equivalent in every way to the Pixel 4 camera. Like hardware wise, it's pretty much the exact same. Software wise, it's, it's the same. Similar so. to the um, to the i the iPhone 11 and the iPhone SE, it's like the same, generally the same camera. So um, it's kind of interesting. I see like parallels between both devices. I think it, in some ways it comes down to like what operating system you prefer, really. Yeah, ultimately, I think that's that's the biggest, the two biggest factors for the these two phones. If you're trying to decide between them, is going to be operating system. Do you prefer Android or iOS? Um, and then the second thing is going to be longevity. Um, and what I mean by that is the iPhone SE is going to be supported with software for longer than the Pixel 4a is. So if you want to buy a phone and use it for the next three to five years, you're probably going to want the iPhone SE because it's just a better investment um, in the long run. But if you like to upgrade your phone more often, I think the Pixel 4a is probably a better choice. I think the Pixel 4a probably feels like a more modern device as well. You know, like the SE still has, like you said, that old screen, the big bottom bezel and the top bezel with the home button. You know, so it's kind of like, sure, it has great specs and a great camera and it will last a long time, but it's kind of like using a phone from a few years ago. I think holding the Pixel 4a in your hand with the, you know, edge to edge display and the hole punch camera and like that kind of jazz is, is probably going to feel like a little more modern and a little more uh fun maybe for people looking to upgrade yeah the the other question i had the iphone se is a glass back right yes uh, i believe it's I glass. Believe so yeah so the iphone se probably is going to feel a little bit more premium because the the 4a is polycarbonate so it's kind of like a plasticky you know less premium back i really like how the 4a feels um i like the soft touch material that's on it um, I like it a lot more than the Pixel 4, but I think that's because I have the black Pixel 4, which doesn't have the soft touch material, so it just kind of feels gross. 
um, the glossy the, like, one, really yeah. smudgy, glossy glass. Um, so I think that's a factor too, but it's a pretty minor factor because most people just put a case on their phone anyway. So it doesn't super matter unless you hate cases. I love cases. I was making the argument with my friend the other day. So, he just he just bought an SE and we, he was like, yeah, I bought it. I bought like the cheapest one because I, he doesn't like cases. And so he was like, he felt more comfortable possibly breaking this like cheaper phone than like say a thousand dollar iPhone, which, you know, that's. Like not, it's kind of crazy. But if you're not a case person, maybe like if you're not a case person previous to buying this phone, maybe buying the cheaper phone is the way to go because the investment is that much less to lose. The only way so you should never have a, a case on your phone is getting one of those like cat phones that are designed for like a construction site. As long as I would ever be comfortable, comfortable with. Yeah. Yeah. I, I hate cases. I rarely put cases on my phones um, and I've only ever cracked one phone. So it's, that's my track record. Crazy man. Crazy, crazy man. So uh, moving on from the 4A, we have all of the stuff that Samsung showed off at its Unpacked event. Um, we'll kind of run through all of it relatively quickly. Um, there's the Galaxy Note 20 and the Note 20 Ultra. I'm reviewing the Note 20 Ultra right now for mobile syrup. I have the phone sitting right in front of me. Um, I haven't sat down to write my review yet. The embargo lifts next week. So quite possibly by the time you listen to this, the review could be on the site. I, I'm enjoying my time with the phone so far. In several ways, it seems to be like a combination of the best things, but the Note 10 Plus and the S20 Ultra. I think the camera bump is still enormous, but looks better. There's a few more like little, I've been describing them as design flourishes. Kind of in a way reminds me of the iPhone 11 Pro's uh, triple camera bump where it has like these little like shiny chrome edges to it and stuff. It looks it looks way better than the S20 Ultras is, is basically what I'm saying. Camera performance has been great. Focus has been way quicker than the S20 Ultra, which was a huge issue with that phone. But images still have like that, that vibrancy and saturation that like Samsung devices always feature in their cameras. Like I took a picture of my backyard and the grass kind of looked like it was from another planet because of how crazy green it was. And I can assure you that the grass in my backyard is truly not that green. And then there's also the sort of dichotomy between the, the Note 20 and the Note 20 Ultra both devices are very similar, but there's some stark differences between them in terms of cameras. But I think the big takeaway and, and kind of like the point of contention a lot of people have is that the S20, uh, sorry, Note 20 Ultra um, starts at 1399 and it has a plastic back, which seems crazy to me. Whereas the Note 20 Ultra costs an absolutely astounding 1800 and $18, which is a crazy amount of money for a phone. Um, and it has this like really nice, I, I guess I would describe it as like a matte gold color. They're calling it mystic. What's it called? Mystic mystic bronze. bronze? Yeah. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. Mystic. They're calling it mystic bronze. It's a really nice color. Um, the back of the phone doesn't really get grease on it. I love that. That's one of my biggest issues with smartphones. Don't know why, because I just put a case on them all anyways, but it makes me feel better. Uh, but the back, 
despite being matte and feeling really nice, has like this weird flex to it that the S20 Ultra didn't have and the Note 10 Plus also didn't have. So still using it, still experimenting with it. We'll sit down to write my review later this week, but I'm pretty impressed with what I've experienced so far from the phone. How much was the price again? The price for the Ultra? Yeah. Yeah. So the price for the Ultra is 1818 for the 128 gig. That's crazy. So at Bell right now, the S20 Ultra is still 2300 That's so expensive for a phone. How is that one even? Like how does that cost more? Crazy expensive. I was looking it up to see if it was reduced in price and if maybe it was like the well, better think, buy, but that's like still mind-boggling expensive. The carriers charge, the carriers often charge that extra price, right? Like sometimes when they're selling a phone outright, they'll slap $200 on it and like hope no one notices. I don't know <laughs> if that's the actual thought process, but they're often more expensive at carriers. From what I've noticed, sorry, with the carrier pricing is it's usually 100 to $200 more if you're buying it outright. Um, but often when you calculate the device financing it, the price works out to almost the same because they'll discount that amount. So I don't know if it's just oh, so that see. they can okay. put us a, a larger discount on it. So it looks like you're getting a better deal or not, or Interesting. what, what the thought process is, but that's usually how it works out. The other thing that I want to mention, and I wrote like a whole story about this, but there's no headphones or earbuds in the box, no USB-C yeah. earbuds, no wireless earbuds. And to my knowledge, Samsung's one of the first, if not the first Android manufacturer to do this. And it was rumored that Apple was going to be the first to do it, to try to push people to get AirPods. But Samsung seems to have pulled the trigger first. Um, and nobody cared. Like, I didn't see anyone freaking out about it on Twitter. I didn't see, like, these big think pieces about... Samsung being like anti-consumer for not including the earbuds. Uh, and I thought that was kind of surprising because I think it's a pretty, a pretty controversial move from a company that only a couple years ago was like making fun of Apple for ditching the 3.5 millimeter headphone jack before like turning around and doing it itself like three years later. Um, Especially I just wanted price. to make a note of that because I thought it was funny. Well, at the 2000 plus price range that people are paying for this phone with taxes and stuff, you should be getting like some sort of headphone in the box. Do you even get a dongle? Do you get the headphone dongle in the box still? So you get, I have it at the end of my story. Let me just scroll down. You get a USB-C to C data cable. So no, you don't even get a dongle. You just get. Actually, I have the box cable. right in front of me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to open up the box and look. Yeah. All the you dust should... will just fly out because there's nothing else in there. You, can, you should get Buds Alive with it. That's, cool that's how it should be. Sticker? Well, they have they have deals, right? There's like all kinds of pre-order deals and stuff like that to either get the Buds Live for free um, or the the Buds Plus as well. But like, not everyone's going to get those offers. That's like the first fifteen or ten thousand customers, that sort of thing. It's not like it's a permanent solution to the phone, not including headphones. Yeah, there's yeah. just a cord in here and a power brick. There's no oh, other, I thought you were say no other adapter. For a second. Is it a fast charger? I don't know. Like, is that is a fast charger even like a good trade off for not having headphones? Okay, let's take a step back well, for a they second. They used to have the. F Who here has used wired headphones in the past year? 
I have not. I think I did once. I'm, I'm using wired headphones right now, but that's with my desktop PC. So I don't think that counts. I have not used wired I, headphones with a phone in a long time. I haven't used wired headphones in like since the AirPods came out, but like I do a lot of the earbud reviews at the site, right? So I always have this mm-hmm. like laundry list of headphones just floating around that I can try. I don't know if that's the case for someone going out and dropping $1,800 on a new Note 20 Ultra, right? Like maybe they have the Note 8, right? And they have a pair of headphones that they've been using with the Note 8 forever. And they're kind of counting on getting new headphones with this phone that they're paying like after taxes $2,000 for. Um, I, I get that it's like a cost saving measure for them because the 5G chip costs more, blah, 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 blah. But like from a purely consumer perspective, if I was going out and buying this phone, and I didn't pay attention to the smartphone industry and it didn't include like earbuds, whether wired or wireless or whatever, I'd be super pissed. Yeah. I don't know. It's such a hard call because like we all know the earbuds were crap. They weren't really worth using. Like they were usable, but they weren't like super great. So I don't, yeah, it would be interesting if we could see the statistics as to how many people are actually using them. Like maybe it's worth cutting it and we're making like kind of a fuss out of nothing. But yeah, it does suck for, yeah, like the price you're, for the price you're paying for the phone, like getting less than you would get last year where the phone cost less money, even I think, or two years ago where the phone cost less money, you're just like getting less as a consumer. Like that does suck and it does feel like a ripoff. Like it doesn't feel good. Yeah. yeah I think and that's I, true. I, I think you can tack a few other things onto that as well i don't know if you've noticed this at all pat but i've seen a lot of complaints recently about samsung phones showing ads in certain parts of the user interface um i haven't noticed that uh with the ultra yeah i mean it might just be a u.s thing as well i think um i've seen max weinbeck treat about tweet about it and, and stuff like that um so it's just kind of like these little things where they're trying to get a little bit of extra savings out of it but it feels not so great for a consumer when you're spending two grand on a super premium phone that's missing these these pretty basic things this is actually like a really good contrast to the 4a um you know because the 4a we're talking about before it's like this bare bones phone you just sort of get what you pay for and you pay 475 bucks john is that was that right yeah 479 Four seventy nine. So you're paying that, but you're getting a phone, you know, no ads. Do you get headphones in that box? Not that it matters, but at that price, you don't even need them. I know there's a headphone jack. Um, but yeah, like. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The, the stark contrast between these two phones and how, like, we both kind of or we all like both of them. They're all, they're both like decent phones, but it just goes to show that for like $479, you can get the value there is just so much more. And instead of us trying to like justify the price of the S or the note 20 series, 
through all these weird things, but also maybe you're getting ads, you're not getting headphones. Yeah, it's it's starting to feel like these expensive phones are a ripoff because what like what are you really getting that's worth that much money? Because it's so much money. You can definitely argue that the the processor is, you know, it's that much faster, that much more capable and stuff like that. But like even in my testing with the 4A, you know, I compared it in benchmarks to various other devices with 800 series Snapdragon processors and 700 series Snapdragon processors. And the Pixel 4a, in my testing, benchmarked the worst. But as far as performance was concerned, I did not see a significant difference between it and either the Pixel 4 or the Pixel 3. The only noticeable difference that I had was that the Pixel 4's 90 hertz display made it feel smoother. But all three of them were, you know, equally performant at you know a 60 hertz um refresh rate so it's you know when you get into the benchmarks and in gaming and some of the more higher end use cases yeah you notice that difference but i think for most people and what they actually use their phones for you're you're not getting enough extra with those super expensive ultra premium phones yeah like at a certain point it just becomes overkill Exactly. Like they're mm-hmm. using ARM chips in computers now, you know, you need a lot more power in a computer than you need in your phone. Like, sure, lots of power in your phone's cool and it lets you do like higher end gaming and all these other things that are interesting, run 120 hertz screens, blah, 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 like fun things like that. But when it really gets down to what people need, we don't need flagship level processors anymore. You know, like I sure I want those processors in the next computer that I buy because I think that's like probably the way computers are going to go. But do we need that much in a phone? Like, I think that question is going to start popping up a lot more. If it already has, I mean, it has been for a while, but this Note 20 4A thing coming out at the same time really does put this into perspective where it's like, maybe, yeah, we're hitting like overkill zone, like the law of diminishing returns. Yeah. So before we move on, the, the only other thing that I want to mention about the phone, beyond the fact that it both devices go on sale on the 21st is like, we're only going to have an ultra review up when the embargo lifts next week. We won't have a Note 20 review. We're hoping to get a review device at some point later this month. Dean's going to be handling that one just to, to be a little transparent because I know some people question why we didn't rev- review the slightly lower end version. Samsung only provided us with the ultra. That's the same way. way. Um, that's not actually the same way it worked with the S20 ultra. We had all three of them, right? Yeah, we yeah. all threw the S20s, but I believe with the Note 10, it worked like this for us. It did. Yeah, yeah, you're right. But um, I think... Yeah, and and then the, the last thing that I just want to say about it before we go into the Buds Live is just that I think I also think it's really funny that Samsung has sort of killed off the whole space zoom thing that it had from the Ultra. Oh, yeah. uh, the max zoom now through digital and optical with the Note Ultra is the uh, is 50 times. No more hundred times. Like who would have guessed that Samsung's overkill feature that <laughs> it's almost wasn't like those pictures were went away. Yeah, it's almost like those pictures were just so bad that they weren't worth doing anything with. Yeah, yeah and exactly. I think I think that's a perfect example of kind of what I was trying to get at with you know the Pixel Four A review is flagship phones have all these kind of superfluous features, right? Like the hundred X zoom, it was cool that you could do that kind of zoom, but the pictures didn't look great and. I guess nobody really used it. And Samsung said, well, what's the point in having that in our next phone? Because everybody complained about it and nobody liked it. So they went back to 50 times soon. And, you know, if you're going to add these features that are just barely good enough to be acceptable and then 
pulled him out in the next phone, like what's even the point? Yeah. Samsung yep. isn't the only one that does this, but yeah, companies add in things. And to us, I think as reviewers, we get like a really good, like first, first row seat at this, but like, it all just seems like for marketing purposes, you know, like we are using it and we are like, we know that no one's ever using this feature or if it, they are such a small niche. It's just like, but you see it in every commercial and every billboard and all this like marketing things. And yeah, it's hard to parse through the marketing and what is actually like useful for consumers because they do seem cool. The features seem cool upon like first glance, but when you use the phone for a while and you never use that feature, it just becomes like, yeah, you just like have to sigh and be like, they got us again, you know? Yeah. Like the S pens, air gestures. Yeah. Yeah. 3d touch, uh, the, the squeeze gesture on pixels solely the radar gesture gesture thing. Like the list Mm. goes on. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. The one plus like wireless fast charging that you need the one plus compatible wireless fast charger. That's like super loud. Like, yeah, those things are like your first time user like, Oh, this is cool. And then you're just like, you just never end up using it again and it just becomes like oh that was kind of a waste i don't know why this was here how much did i pay as a consumer in the price of this device for that feature that i don't use Mm -hmm. so on a far more positive note i really really like the galaxy buds live i also have them using them now to listen to you guys talk while we record the podcast super comfortable kind of weird in a way because they're not in here in ear earbuds they're also not like the ones that kind of just sit in your ear like standard airpods there's something that falls in between like they go a little bit farther into your ear than airpods but they're not like burrowing in like an alien that that's how i always describe the um like airpods pro or other in-ear earbuds is like it feels like something's inside my ear with these that's not the case um and despite that they also still feature active noise canceling I will say that the active noise canceling is like basically non-existent, which is what I expected (laughs) because they're not in-ear and they're not over-ear headphones. That was one of my concerns is like you're paying all this money for Samsung's most expensive first high-end really good, at least from their perspective, really good earbuds um, that have active noise canceling and then the feature doesn't even really work that great. That is what my experience has been so far. Hoping to get up a review before um, September or or in early September, likely. Uh, but in general, I like them. Like they have better bass than the Pixel Buds. They work excellently with the Note 20 Ultra. Like that whole instant connection experience. I've been using them with other devices. I, I, I've been using them for the last couple of days, all day, with the uh, MacBook Pro that I do my daily work on. Um, I've been using them with the iPhone. Uh, I even tipped them up to the Pixel 4 for a little bit. And like the experience overall has been pretty good. I think I ran into some connectivity problems with the MacBook Pro yesterday, but like I just disconnected them and reconnected them and and things were fine again. Um, I like that they're a little more low profile and convert uh, covert than the AirPods or other ones that kind of stick out of your ear. But they're also like shiny, which is is strange. Like it's kind of weird to put these things in your ear that are so shiny that they just reflect everything off them. Um, I have the mystic white ones, but like the mystic bronze and mystic black are even, even more reflective. But yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I like them so far. I'm impressed with the sound quality. I'm impressed with the base. Uh, they're expensive to 49 Canadian, um, which is less expensive than the AirPods pro, which I think costs slightly over $300. 
They might even be closer um, to four. Aren't they like three seventy something? I don't. I don't know if they're that. I much. can look I'm it up. Look you it keep up, talking. Actually. You keep talking. I can look it up. I think. I think sure. they're cheaper than the Surface earbuds too. Uh, in Canada, at least. Double checking that. Yeah, because we're starting to get all of the the earbuds here now, right? Like we have um, the Galaxy Buds Plus, which were really good. Bennett, you reviewed those. I think they're probably like some of the best earbuds you can get. There's the Pixel Buds, the new wireless ones. I reviewed those recently. Um, there's obviously the AirPods, the AirPods Pro, and then John's written about the Surface Buds before. And I think the one thing that some of these earbuds have and some don't is active noise canceling. So I, I, I don't know what direction my review is going to go, but like if you're buying these Galaxy Buds Live for active noise canceling, don't. It's not worth it. <laughs> Battery life comes in at six hours and like the active noise canceling doesn't really work. But if you're buying them purely for comfort, from my perspective, they're by far the most comfortable earbuds I have ever had in my ears. And they also fit like super securely. I went running the other day with them in and they didn't fall out at all. And I can't, I can't say that about any other earbuds, um, whether it's the pixel buds or the AirPods pro or whatever other ones I've tried in the last couple of months. Do you attribute that to the bean shape? Yeah, I, I think, I think it's cool. Like, we give Samsung a lot of crap for um, what we were talking about before, like gimmicks, right? Like uh, those air gestures or like features that don't really matter, like space zoom, like all this marketing stuff. But I think every once in a while they do something crazy and there's like this synergy between marketing and the actual purpose of the device. And that feels like, it feels like the galaxy buds are a perfect example of that. We're like, yes, the shape is probably like a little bit marketing, but it also works really well. Like they fit in my ear perfectly. They're like locked in place. Doesn't feel like an alien's burrowing into my ear and they're super comfortable. Whereas every other earbuds, a pair of earbuds that I've worn, even most recently the Pixel Buds, I said they were super comfortable, probably the most comfortable that I've ever used. They still hurt eventually. Like they have this little wing at the top that digs into your ear. That's not the case with the Buds Live. Like, I've worn them all day and like into the evening and it still feels like there's really nothing in my ear. So for me, because I wear earbuds most of the time because I'm listening to music while I'm writing or editing or planning or whatever, that's really important to me. And because I'm not going out anymore and like walking to work through busy downtown Toronto, I don't really care about active noise canceling. Like my house isn't noisy. It's just me, me and my partner and my cat jingling around with her bells. So that perspective might change once we all start going back into the office again and things like that. But for my current circumstances, these are like the perfect wireless earbuds. Before we yeah, hit up on something else, wait, I just, the AirPods Pro are 329. I was wrong. So they are closer to three, maybe with okay, that's what I thought. 350. Um, and and uh, so go ahead, John. On the, on the pricing note, the Surface earbuds are 259 in Canada. So. And they, they don't have active noise canceling, right? They don't. They don't. And that's that's kind of what I wanted to talk about briefly is just, you know, everybody talks about active noise cancellation and, and how important it is. But I don't I don't think it's as important as people make it out to be. Because, like, for me, if I'm going to wear earbuds like this, it's probably because I'm going to be moving around, um, you know, I'm going to be walking somewhere, I'm going to be outside the house, stuff like that, because they're light and they're comfortable and they're airy. And, you know, for me, the earbuds are great because they let in the 
the background noise so I can hear, you know, if I'm crossing the street, I can hear a car coming and stuff like that. So from that perspective, I, I really like that. And when I do want to use something with noise cancellation, when I'm in like a super noisy environment, like the office or, you know, flying on a plane or something like that, I I'll use actual over ear headphones because the noise cancellation you're going to get out of those is going to be better than any earbuds. Even, you know, the ones with the best active noise cancellation headphones are going to do it better. The only earbuds that I have ever encountered that had active noise, like wireless earbuds, to be clear, that Mm -hmm. had active noise canceling that I thought was really, really good was the AirPods Pro when they came out. And then there was like that subsequent software update that nerfed it that we still don't know why, whether it was battery life or like like a safety concern. But they were the first earbuds that I ever put in that I think that they rivaled like over ear headphones in terms of like how much they truly blocked out. But that's like it's not even a real point anymore because the it, the active noise canceling cancellation exists with the AirPods Pro, but it's it's not great anymore. It's pretty much the same as what I've experienced with other other wireless earbuds. Maybe a little bit better, but definitely not worth like even just looking at them directly with the Galaxy Buds Live. Like I would rather get these now than the the airpods pro because they're just way more comfortable i think the earbud market right now kind of just floats between what do you want active noise cancellation or good if not really great battery life you know because things like uh the earbuds from jabra which focus super heavily on battery life but both the galaxy buds plus and the oneplus buds that i've recently kind of used all have like crazy good battery life to the point where it's like I find myself charging the case like once every two weeks or every week instead of like every day after work, which just like changes the game. Like knowing that you can pick up your headphones off your desk, put them in your ears, go walking, go biking, do whatever, and like not worry about them being dead. Because like nothing is worse than picking up your headphones and them being dead is I think like a really good, I don't know, I think I value battery life over noise cancellation. Like I would have rather the Galaxy Buds Live have no noise cancellation and by proxy the way it seems better battery life i'd say battery life is probably one of my issues with them like on that point that you're making right now is so like some days i get about six seven hours out of them but yesterday they died at like noon and i had them in since 8 30 and i i don't know why i have no idea why that day specifically they drained more quickly um so yeah i think i think you're right it's it's like a trade-off do you want active noise canceling or do you want battery life and i used to fall on the active noise canceling side of things because that was a feature i valued when i was like commuting to work and and now i just want battery life i want them to like be charged when i take them out of the case and i want them to work um yeah we're running a little long but bennett do you want to just sort of set the stage for what the tab s7 and the s7 plus is i always find these devices fascinating because like samsung is the only company that really makes high-end android tablets anymore samsung is why do they keep doing this yeah they're trying so hard and like tablets hardware wise are fantastic you know like setting up and using it the keyboard cover i think they call it the book cover for some reason but it's a keyboard cover super good this time around way better than last year like magnets onto the thing onto the tablet instead of using like a sticky 3m double-sided tape type thing or whatever they were using last year super great like i could use it on my lap i wrote some stories on it this morning um in terms of hardware i really 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 like it i'm using the s7 the tab s7 plus right now 
it's a little big for my tablet preference, but if you wanted a productivity tablet, it doesn't get much better than this unless you want to get the bigger iPad Pro, which is in this price range because these are very expensive. But for that price, it is like reflected um, in the hardware. And, you know, they're fast, they're snappy, the screen is fantastic. Like, um, Alex and I have been watching movies on that tablet and my iPad interchangeably right now because we've been watching Stars through the Apple TV app, which isn't available on the Samsung tablet, but also movies on and the which, Netflix Which and iPad is this one? The base level iPad, the just the iPad, the 10 point whatever inch base level iPad, the cheaper $400 one. And like this contrast between like how amazing the screen looks on the Tab S7 Plus compared to like how washed out the base level iPad looks. Not that the not that the iPad's bad and you don't necessarily notice it, but when you put it beside this like beautiful 120 hertz, like fantastic OLED or AMOLED color rich, perfect black level tablet, it just like it hurts. Um, so like it's good for those types of things, but it is really expensive. And on the productivity side of things, using Android, even with Samsung DeX overlaid on top of it for productivity still isn't great. Like there's like weird things where like, you know, you want to highlight something, you have to like tap on it with the, there is a trackpad on the keyboard cover. So instead of like on a regular computer, you kind of like can tap and drag and highlight things. So this, you're like tapping on something or like double clicking to highlight a whole word. And then the little drag points that you'll know from your phone when you want to highlight something, you know, those little handles, you know, like drag those out using the pen or the trackpad. Um, and it's just like kind of convoluted along with other things like that, like using Chrome on an Android tablet. Sure, you can use like control C and control V to copy and paste and control T to open up a new tab. But when you open up a new tab, you still have to click on the search bar to start typing and like all these other things that just sort of like disrupt your flow. You can't rearrange your tabs. So like the order you open the tabs is the order they'll be in. So like for me, I like to have Trello and some other consistent tabs pinned to the far left of my browser. Um, then the first main like large tab would be what I'm working on for work and all the subsequent tabs to the right of that are my like research tabs, I guess, for whatever I'm working on. But with the using the tablet, it's just like a mess of tabs that you can organize. And that's within Chrome. So that's kind of like an Android issue. And I have to try out some other browsers. The Samsung one didn't seem a whole lot better, but maybe Firefox or something, John, will be like a little better. But yeah, it's like issues like that where you, once you start to use it, it's like, oh, everything is here, but everything works a little differently and not for the, not for the better. Like it works a little differently, a little worse, can be done. I like totally was working from this morning, getting everything I needed to get done. Didn't really get into photo editing, which I think would have been another sort of couple of hoops to jump through. But yeah, it's weird. It's, it's, uh, it's a tablet that is the same issue I have with the S6 last year. I want to love it. It's beautiful. I love holding it. I love the hardware. I love watching stuff on it. Would I pay this thirteen or $1,400 price tag for it for those, for those reasons? No, I'll just deal with the washed out iPad screen that I paid 400 bucks for and just like, not that bad. It works fine. So yeah, it's like this big trade-off, you know, and uh, it's hard. Alex likes to draw on it. I mean, the latency with the S Pen is reduced this time. The pen's a bit heavier. There's a lot of good things to love about it, but the way that they're marketing it as this productivity machine just isn't really coming across in the actual use that I've uh, been experiencing. So what, and, what's the difference between the S7 and the S7 Plus? Uh, the size, I believe the S7 is closer to 11 inches. 
and the S7 Plus is like 12 point something, um, okay. which doesn't seem like that big of a difference, but the larger tablet feels huge for a tablet. It feels is one big OLED to carry and one around. LCD. Uh, I believe they both have the same screens. I think the the main okay. differences are just in like size and so like battery size and those types of things. They both have 5G, which is the thing, but like it's as we were talking about how convoluted it is for 5G and phones. 5G and tablets is even just like a bigger stretch to sell at this point. Um, yeah, like uh, it's hard. I like it. I like it a lot. It's giant. I mean, Samsung will maybe come out with like a lower end version like they did last year with the Tab S6 Lite. And I think if they can like, you know, cut the right amount of corners, maybe even take the camera off it completely and just give me like a cheap tablet under 500 bucks with a brilliant screen. That's the perfect Android tablet, I think. Because like productivity wise, if you're really invested in Android, get a Chromebook. At least then you have the keyboard and things work as they should. Um and like for the price of this tablet, the like over thousand dollar price, you could buy like a MacBook or a really nice Windows laptop or like the best the best Chromebook, but instead you're gonna be stuck with this like tablet that is cool and will do things, but in terms of productivity, isn't like this dream work machine. It's more like works in a pinch machine. You know, I wonder if you could go through a bunch of steps to kind of like you know, put a more capable operating system on there like Linux or something um, that does work normally and gives you all those productivity features. But like you said, at that point, like if you're going through all that effort to make a $1,000 tablet more useful, why are you buying a $1,000 tablet in the first place? Buy something that out of the box is going to be that useful. Yeah, I think I need to spend a day using, like, connecting a mouse and keyboard to the iPad as well and sort of seeing how Apple handles these, like, mouse issues in the tablet interface that's sort of set up for touch. I don't know if they do it better or worse, but that's, like, one of the they, biggest issue I've been ha- issues I've been having. It's, it's surprisingly good, despite most apps not being optimized. Do I find myself using it a lot with the 11-inch iPad Pro 2020 and the, like, the keyboard? No, um, but like if Adobe actually really optimized all of its apps, I'm, I might do more photo editing with that device. But like mm-hmm. surprisingly, Apple did do a really good job of, of finding like a balance with the, the cursor that's kind of weird that like changes sizes and stuff. Yeah, I know I, I tried it out when it first came out very briefly and I was remember I remember being impressed, but I'd like to stack it up head to head with this because... Yeah, like I find myself when I'm working with this, it's like I have to keep the S Pen in my hand. So I'm kind of typing in like this weird left hand typing as normal, right hand using sort of a claw type type uh, like tapping instead of actually typing, just like tapping things because I'm holding the pen because I have to be transitioning between the keyboard, the trackpad and using the pen to tap on the screen accurately to just like get things done in like a semi-efficient manner. And that just like is so much more convoluted than just like getting a computer. I mean, it's awesome. It's slim. It's beautiful. And it's like, it's the device that I feel like in the future, people are going to be pulling out of their bags and using as their main computers. But software is really limiting in this factor. And I don't know if I can blame that on Samsung or if I can blame that on Android, but somebody's got to, somebody's got to figure this out, you know, call me Samsung and Android and I'll, I'll do it. <laughs> but you know, just, I got to get that call. So the, the last device that we're going to just 
really like i don't even know if we need to talk about it i'll just outline what it is super quickly <laughs> um like I, I don't really want to talk about the galaxy watch so the, this is the galaxy watch 3 that was revealed during samsung's somewhat awkward unpacked event um for some reason the galaxy watch 2 doesn't exist and we're just skipping that the key thing is that the rotating bezel that was really popular is back um it's thinner it still runs Tizen, which means that there's like a lack of apps if you're interested in running third-party apps on a wearable. I don't do that. I use an Apple Watch every day. No interest in third-party apps. I just use it for notifications. So I, I don't know if I really under fully understand that lack of apps issue that a lot of people cite with Tizen. Um, there's some other new features like fall detection, sleep management, and running analysis. There's also oxygen detection, but that isn't coming to Canada at launch. I would expect it might come at a later date, but it has to get like Health Canada approval and stuff like that. Um, they look nice. Like there's pictures of the watches on the site. They look cool. I mean, if if you're not getting an Apple Watch, your options for like a modern wearable are, are pretty limited. So it's cool that Samsung's like continuing to plug along with Tizen, I guess. Yeah, now that I've been a little more like fitness activity with my like bike and things like that and like using apps like Strava and like those types of things on smartwatches. Yeah, I'm wondering if that will work on the Galaxy Watch. Like maybe, you know, Strava seems really popular. Like, will it be on there? Or could I like take the data f- that the Samsung Watch is gathering and like load and it into it? To, like Google Fit or something, you know? Like, do I have to use the Tizen Watch with a Samsung phone to get the most out of it? I think that's my biggest question because it, it looks so pretty. It looks awesome. And the screens on them, the ones that Dean reviews always look awesome. And like the interface looks really cool. But yeah, it's like, how well will this work with non-Samsung phones? It's the biggest question on top of my mind. This is a question that Dean will hopefully answer in his review. I think we're still waiting on the device. That's part of why Dean's not on the podcast this week. Um, but when it when it shows up, maybe we'll get him back on the pod to uh, give his impressions of the wearable. It'd be fun to do um, a little smartwatch head-to-head podcast someday. Like the way we did the Mac PC. The the Apple Watch scary. just talked <laughs> to you somehow. It heard it, it heard that you were talking yeah. about it and it spoke. It heard that we were talking about the Samsung and it was like, no no no, let me interrupt and just let you guys know that Apple Watches still exist. Seriously, what is it doing right now? Um, yeah, somehow I still have Strava open. Oh, uh, maybe. Siri and I never just opened like. It. What? Weird. I had Get an exercise pet. from yesterday it that's wants still you being run. recorded. You gotta hit it. Get out. I don't want to run. I'll, I hate it. John and it's I will time. close out this pod. You hit the road. <laughs> Just leave. I gotta listen it's, to the watch. It's time to go. Run. It's time to go. Just keep running. The Forrest Gump thing. Apple will stop sending those checks if I don't listen to Siri. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, so yeah, that, that's a good. Cool. Yeah, I think that's a good idea. But also, that's a good place to wrap it up. We're a little yep. over the time that we wanted to hit. Yeah, let's talk about what games we've been playing. So I, I can start it off. Um, I haven't really been playing much. I, I was dabbling with Apex a little bit. I've been trying to find a Switch game for the longest time that I actually want to play because I'm testing out this uh, portable Switch dock from Genki that I think is really cool. It's like it's literally just a charger and you plug um, an HDMI cord into it and it, it, it just like works as a dock. But I haven't really been using it that much. The only game I've been playing is a game called Fall Guys on the PS4. I believe it's also on um, PC. PC. Yeah. And it's basically 
like I, I saw this on, I think it was a Kotaku story that just highlighted user reviews of the game. And I'm probably butchering the quote, but it was something along the lines of like, how has a developer not made a battle Royale game that was fun yet? And, and that's like a pretty good way to describe what Fall Guys is because it's, it's like not serious at all in any way. You just play as like this little gummy bear character um, and it's a game show and you run through these like MXC like obstacle courses um, and it's a battle royale. So like people get eliminated with each different course that you go through. Amusingly, I'll tell this story really quickly. I was playing it last night on my way too big TV in my basement and was experiencing like crazy input lag. But I thought that that was a feature and it was part of the game and they made the controls intentionally obtuse and delayed to make it more difficult. Only to find out when I went upstairs and tried to play it on the PS4 because I wanted to see it in, in 4K HDR because, you know, that's really important for a game with simplistic graphics like this. That, like, there's no lag at all. Controls like a dream. So, uh, interesting issue with my TV in the basement. Don't really know what that's about. But I'm if wondering. you're looking for, like, just a fun game to kill time, Fall Guys is, is definitely it. And it's also part of PS Plus. So, if you're a PS Plus subscriber, it's it's free right now. I think it's 20 bucks on PC because I've been looking at it a lot. I really want it. Do you think it's worth getting? Do you think it's worth 20 bucks? Yeah, I I think so. I think it's fun. Um, I I see it as like the kind of game that like you can put on where you're you're like listening to a podcast or or doing something else. Um, Even like if you're watching TV and you just want to play a game at the same time, if you're watching like some kind of mindless show like Grey's Anatomy (laughs) or Friends or something like that. um, I don't know if it could like really hold my attention 100% for a long period of time, but... uh, I've really enjoyed the like three hours I've played it so far. One thing I was going to mention about the TV, because I have the same one. You're talking about the TCL one, right? Yeah, TCL Series, series 6. six. Yeah, I, I, haven't, I haven't experienced any crazy input lag. Um, and I would notice because I played Forza on it, and like input lag in Forza absolutely just destroys that game. But I'm wondering, do you have your HDMI switcher hooked up to that TV, or you went upstairs? I do have it hooked up. I'm wondering if it is the HDMI switcher. There's a possibility that that's the cause of it. I'm but I use it that HDMI. I, I used to use that all the time with my other TV, and I didn't. I didn't have any issues with it. I'm just wondering if it doesn't, because mine automatically goes into game mode when I'm playing on the Switch or the Xbox. I'm wondering if the uh, HDMI switcher is making it not do that. That's what I was getting at. I, I do. Yeah. I do still need to try it with game mode. I haven't. I haven't done that yet. Um, give it a shot tonight. I, it's just like, I've never had to do that before. Like I know game mode has been a thing on TV since the mid two thousands. I've just never experienced input lag at that level. I don't know how, cause I know it's, it's pretty common depending on the console, yeah. the TV, the game combination that you're doing. But this was like the first time where I was like, Holy shit, I pressed jump and it doesn't happen for one second. Yeah. It's weird. I mean, like that's, I think, I mean, Douglas has the series four, which I am assuming would be very similar input lag uh, levels. And he like games Apex so much that I think he would be noticing lag too if it was there. I, so I'm I was talking to him and he the auto game mode thing. It could be he he said he experienced a similar issue somewhat recently, but um, turning on game mode solved the problem. I also okay. saw stuff on like forums that it's like a software update that was released and like you have to have game mode on now and like some people get stuck with game mode off. There's like all this stuff, so I'm gonna I'm gonna explore it tonight and uh, put on my IT cap and try to figure it out. Cool. Do you want to go next, John, or do you want me to go? Yeah, I, I can go next. Um, so pretty much all I've been playing for the last uh, little bit has been the Horizon Zero Dawn PC port. Um, and it's been pretty sick. I don't 
have a PlayStation. I'm not a filthy console peasant. Ha <laughs> ha. Wow. Um, <laughs> Just the forced ha ha. <laughs> no, like I didn't. I, I didn't even laugh. I haven't had a console for a while. I like. I don't have anything against console players. I just prefer using a keyboard and mouse. It feels better to me. Um, no, you've chosen your side. Yeah. Don't backpedal. I, I've I've chosen my side. Um, but yeah, no. I've been playing the PC port. Uh, I've been really enjoying it. It's a pretty sweet game. It uh, reminds me a lot of The Witcher Three. Not so much in like story or anything like that, but just like gameplay it kind of has that same gameplay loop where you go and you you hunt down monsters and you kill them and and collect their their bits and then use those to craft new stuff and make money and whatever um so that kind of gameplay loop reminds me of the witcher 3 which is a game i really enjoyed so yeah i've just been having a lot of fun with it i've seen a lot of reports of people having a lot of issues with the pc port um i haven't really had any of those there was supposed to be a day one patch that like fixed all that stuff it didn't really make any difference for me at all in the game it still performs well on my system and i did get a couple crashes after updating to the new one but then it seemed to stabilize so i don't know it's probably something that's worth not buying right now if if you want to try it out on pc and just waiting and to see if the developers can fix kind of the issues that are going on and but as a whole the game's pretty good and if you do have a playstation and you haven't played it it's worth checking out i played it a couple years ago on on playstation and i really liked it um i never finished it but i think that's because breath of the wild came out at that time and like took over my life so Maybe someday I'll go back and play it, but uh, probably not. <laughs> well, yeah, I um, I have been gaming on my PC as well, but I've been playing the new Flight Sim. I still have access to that after my review. And I, think, I think it comes out. What's today, the 11th? So I think it comes out in seven days, if I remember correctly. I think it comes out on the 18th. It's on Game Pass, too. Yeah, it'll be on Game Pass for everyone that has Game Pass Ultimate. It's coming to consoles later, so you need Game Pass Ultimate specifically, which is the PC version. Um, but like, it's super fun. I've been playing with a yoke and pedals and stuff and it's just like amazing. Like I never thought I would get like super into a sim game like this, but like, I just like sit there with my headset on and Microsoft sent me these like blue light filter aviators. So I really get in the zone and I just like sit there like, you know, this is your captain speaking. We'll be flying in at 1300 feet. The, uh, the weather in your destination is, <laughs> and like, I just get like, oh man, it's so much fun. And you just like, you fall into this like simulation hole. Um, now that I've learned it, learning it was definitely like a steep learning curve. Like figuring out how to how to take off and fly was not so bad. Um, landing was really difficult for me, um, but I got it. And uh, just trying to work my work my way up to bigger planes now. Like I basically just take single propeller planes out of the Toronto airport and I fly over the city. Uh, it's awesome. That's but so the cool. game, the game looks uh, absolutely real. Like. You know, when you fly really close to the ground, you can start to see some disorientation and, and things like that. But when you're like flying as a plane is meant to fly and you're just like darting through the clouds and the rain and playing at night, you can see all the lights in the cities or the towns below. It's it is stunning. Like it is amazing looking. Uh, I, I can't get over it. Yeah, I don't know. I like they use this weird technology where you're kind of like streaming assets for the game in via the internet as you play instead of it all just being there like a regular game. And I mentioned that was the thing that uh, the Xbox one was supposed to have at one point too, that never really panned out. Oh yeah, that's true. Oh, 
Um, that is true. But now that okay, but now that it's here in practice, not derailing what I was about to say too much. But now that it's here in practice, I I honestly think more games will start to go that way, which sucks for people with bad internet connections. Like any like I'm at my grandparents this week, and I think they're at like 12 megs down and one meg up, which is not good, and that might be reflected in the audio quality of this podcast on my end. But um, and it, it would probably not be good for anyone trying to play Flight Simulator here. You'd have to be playing at really low graphic settings. But like that game streaming thing and how like you can fly over the whole world and it all just looks fantastic. I think we'll start to see that in a lot more games because in Flight Simulator, for me, it seems to be working really phenomenally. And it's interesting. Nice. Yeah. yeah. So that's a good place to wrap things up. Thanks for listening to the Syrupcast. Be sure to drop us a review on iTunes. It really helps with the rankings of the show. You can find me on Twitter at, at Patrick underscore O'Rourke and of course on mobilesurf.com. Bennett, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me pretty much everywhere, Twitter, Instagram, all that jazz, at the Bradfad. also on mobilesurf.com. Got lots of stuff going up. Just did a review on the D-Brand pastel skins. They're awesome. And uh, yeah, that's about me. And John, where can everybody find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at John underscore Lamont, and that's J-O-N underscore L-A-M-O-N-T, and also on the website mobilesyrup.com. And as always, you can find all of our content on mobilesyrup.com and also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at at mobilesyrup. Thanks for listening. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.